I'm convinced that one of the most important skills we can develop in this lifetime is our ability to negotiate. There are lots of styles and approaches and theories about how to negotiate well. And I'm proud to say that I had the brilliant Margaret Neal on the show in season one to talk about her book, Getting More of What You Want. And I'm equally proud and excited to introduce you to another badass woman on the topic of negotiation, but who has a very different and very compelling take on it. You're about to meet Rebecca Zung. Rebecca is one of the top 1% of attorneys in the country, having been recognized by U.S. News and World Report as a best lawyer in America and as legal elite by Trend Magazine. And her book, Breaking Free, a step-by-step divorce guide for achieving emotional, physical, and spiritual freedom is a bestseller. Rebecca has been featured on Extra, Forbes, Huffington Post, Newsweek, Time, Dr. Drew, NPR, the list goes on. And she's here talking to us today about her new book, Negotiate Like You Matter, The Surefire Method to Step Up and Win. Not only that, she's got a podcast that's just kicking butt called How to Negotiate Your Best Life. So if you like what you hear, there's way more where that came from. And here's the thing. I've been a student of negotiation my entire life, pretty much. And I found Rebecca's ideas and strategies incredibly fresh and very, very useful. So my hope, my friends, is that you walk away from this with new strategies, new fierceness, and a totally newfound respect for your own ability to step up and win. I love, love, love your book. Oh, thank you. I really, really love it. Like, I feel like, and maybe this isn't true, but it sure as hell seems true to me because I feel like I've read everything. But I feel as though I've never read a book about negotiation from somebody as hardcore, kick-ass, and focused and successful as you that also incorporates all that we know about quantum physics and belief and you know what attracts the things that we want to attract in our lives and how to blend those two disciplines right like the super focused decisive negotiating techniques with also that beautiful self work that we're all doing so good job Thank you. Well, I mean, for me, and that is so perceptive of you that you saw that that's what I'm doing. And that to me, it's like a huge victory, like, yay, Yay. because somebody got what I'm doing. And, you know, most negotiation books or courses or anything, they really just, they start from basically my step two. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, okay, do the research, you know, have your arguments ready. But if you don't do the internal work first, if you don't have that internal sense of value first, then you aren't going to get anywhere. And And this, it's not going to work. And this is one of the most powerful ideas I've heard about negotiating in a really long time. And you said this the last time we spoke, you said something like, we have to separate our intrinsic value from our external value so that when we negotiate, we're not feeling like we're negotiating our freaking self-worth every time. No wonder we get so stressed. We think we're negotiating our own internal value when we negotiate, but we're not. What are we doing, Rebecca? That's exactly right. And that's why no one wants to do it. So here's what I figured out. 
And that is that there's a huge difference, huge difference between our internal value, which the feeling of that and the emotion around that should be that we are whole, that we are complete, that we were meant to be on this planet. Every single one of us is different for a reason because we're meant to be here and we have something to contribute. And all of us want to feel seen, heard, and know that we matter. And that's why my book is called Negotiate Like You Matter. But then there's the external value that we have in the world, which can vary and there can be a range around that. And what I mean by that is if you are going in for a pay raise or something like that, then you're going to have a certain value attributed to yourself based on your experience, based on your skills, based on the geographical area that you live in. And yeah, there could be a range, but you know, you can't be a paralegal and go into ask a lawyer for a $500,000 salary. It's just that's right. not never going to happen. And it has but, nothing to do with whether or not your personhood is worth $500,000, right? Exactly. It's what the market will bear. Correct. And you've got to separate out those two things in any situation that you're in. I mean, whether it's in your marriage, in your relationship, in your relationship with your children or your friends or whatever, none of that should have anything to do with your internal value. That should be the oak tree, you know, the thing that yeah. doesn't move. The wind blows, you don't move. That's right. I was thinking about the most not traumatic is the wrong word, but the most nerve-wracking negotiation settings I've been in have been a war inside of my mind around what I know is appropriate for me to ask for and receive and what I feel I quote-unquote deserve. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's uh, another whole thing. When you're collapsing your value. I, you know, I used to have this a lot with staff and I talk about this in my book as well. You know, I mean, I had a senior paralegal one time who we loved, we adored her as a person. And I think that she felt like if we loved her and valued her as a person, mm then she would be able to get all of these other things. And, you know, I had to constantly separate out for her, you know, the job is that, you know, you have to be here nine to five, that you get a certain amount of time for paid time off, that this is your pay. That's the range. You're already at the very, very tip top of a range for a paralegal. It doesn't mean that we don't like you. It doesn't mean that we don't value you, you know, and collapsing that it's almost like a moral judgment or, yes. or a value judgment, collapsing that in with your worth in the marketplace is such a huge mistake. And the problem with negotiation, I mean, I say problem, but the reason why people don't want to do it by the way, 57% of men and 7% of women have ever negotiated a job offer. It's unbelievable, isn't it? 7% for women, yeah. Unbelievable. That would be like almost none. Of the people that do negotiate, men and women, what percentage of those people get more? Yeah, so I think that it's eight out of 10 employers have surveyed, have said that they would negotiate a salary. 
It's unbelievable. Eight out of 10. So you have to at least give it a try. But what happens is, yes, in all interactions between humans, all humans, we all want to be seen, heard, and feel valued. And with a negotiation, you have this added layer, which is the transaction. This other thing that's going on is this transaction. And the outcome of that transaction will feel like a measurement of your personal self-worth, mm. a very public measurement of your personal self-worth if you haven't done the work to separate out those two things. And actually, that's a perfect segue. So doing the work, what you're talking about is doing the M-A-T-T-E-R work, right? Correct. Yes. So take us through this acronym because every element of it is so helpful. I mean, I love that I got to inhale this book right before I'm about to negotiate a fee on something like it with the timing couldn't have been more perfect, but oh, good. start from the top. What's the M? The M stands for my value is defined by me. So my entire process is inside out. So start with your own internal value first. You've got to start in the space between your ears, basically. (laughs) 80% of winning a negotiation happens before you even walk in a room. And I would say 50% of it is getting that your value is defined by you, you and you alone define your value. And people will think what you tell them to think. Oh, that line jumped out of the page at me. Say that again and explain what you mean. Yeah. So people will think what you tell them to think. And if you feel any sense of doubt within yourself, that's coming through. And people will pick up on your energy. They will pick up on what it is that you're perceiving about yourself. And that's what they're going to think about you. You will be defined not by what they just happen to think, but what you tell them to think. Like I'll give you, there's so many great examples of people who are really, really successful who have lived this. And then I'll give you Mm -hmm. one of my own personal examples of how this happened with me. Mm -hmm. So there's a quote out there where Will Smith has said, I've always been an A-list actor in my mind. You all just didn't know it yet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And then Stevie Nicks tells a story in Oprah's Masterclass or one of her soul series or, you know, with some interview that she had done with Oprah. And she talked about how when she was 18 years old, that she was at San Jose State University and she went to like a thrift store and bought that cool hat that ended up being her signature thing and some cool black dress. And, you know, she bought it all at like the thrift store for like $2 or something, put it on, walks across the middle of campus at San Jose State University and was thinking to herself, don't you people know who I am? Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a rock star. She's Stevie freaking Nicks, right? Was, yeah, and she was already thinking that when she was 18 years old, long yeah. before she became actually a household name, right? And do you find, Rebecca, that people wait for the world to tell them what they are instead of just saying, hey, world, I'm going to tell you who and what I am? <laughs> well, that's exactly what they do. And so how I came to that, particular phrase, people will think what you tell them to think, was I had been a lawyer for uh, nine years or something at one point, and then I went into 
becoming a financial advisor. And I spent some time at Morgan Stanley. I had my Series 7, my 66, and I you know, was a financial advisor for a couple of years. And then I had the opportunity to take over a friend's law practice. She was moving to a different city and she had a very small law practice, like 12 clients. If she had even made a hundred thousand a year before, I would be surprised in the entire practice. But you know, it was a way for me to get started. It was a runway. So she gave me the clients. And at that time I hired a business coach and I said to my business coach, uh, the people of this city are just going to think that I'm nuts. I'm a lawyer and a financial advisor. Now I'm back to being a lawyer again. You know, somehow I'm going to have to like tell the world that, yes, I actually am a lawyer again. I do know what I'm doing, you know, and that was kind of the path that I was taking in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And my coach said to me, people will think what you tell them to think. And I looked at her and I didn't really know what she meant. And she said, you're going to tell them to think that you're the only divorce attorney that has a financial background. So you're more qualified than anybody. Amazing. Amazing. And that's what I did in my marketing. And I cannot tell you how many people ended up hiring me because they were like, oh, you're the only one that has a financial background. I know you're the only one who can understand my finances or you're the only one who can make sure I'll have enough money to live on going forward because I told them what to think. If I had been apologetic and I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm doing and blah, 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 that's what people would have thought. That's it. That's it. And for people listening to this in, you know, considering going into a negotiation or anything, all of us have the mental garbage, right? That needs to be taken out. And in your case, it was that message. In my case, you know, it's a different thing. Part of that step one, that M is about figuring out who you are and what story you will tell the world. That's a good story. That's a story that makes you stand taller right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent. And had she not said that to me, Hey, you can spin this. Yeah. You know, and it's true. It wasn't even like it was, you know, bullshit. It was true. It was true. (laughs) But our egos want to convince us that we always have something to hide. We always have something to apologize for, especially as women. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, from there, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to tell people to think that I'm the best attorney in this area. And, you know, I'm the number one. And I really, once I understood that whole process, that whole, what I go through in my M of the book, I really have lived it in my life. Incredible. Incredible. So, okay. M also might as well stand for major because it's where the major work, I feel like, of this (laughs) process comes from, right? So start with the major stuff and my value as defined by me, what's the A? So A is now you're moving outward a little bit. You're still not interacting with the other person yet, but now you're starting to do the external preparation with the external pre-conversation work. And that's analyze your research and come up with your best case arguments and your leverage. So, you know, what are your arguments? What are your ranges? What's your leverage? What's your risk analysis look like? And for people that aren't familiar with those terms, when you say what's your leverage, what does that mean in a broad sense? Because it means certain things in certain industries and categories, but what is a broad definition people can think of for leverage? Leverage is whatever you need to create 
to incentivize or motivate the other side to want to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, go yeah. ahead. So, you know, you want to analyze yourself first, every single argument and the statistics show that the more data you have, the more supporting documentation you have, the more your argument will fly, the more Mm -hmm. chance you have of getting what you want. Mm -hmm. So you don't just go in and say, I want it. You better be ready to support why. And remember that that why argument has to satisfy something going on with the other side. You know, I had a friend who was a lawyer, one of his secretaries came to him one time and said, I need a raise. And he said, okay, why? And she said, because my live-in boyfriend was fired from his job and we need more money. (laughs) Oh, God. He's like, okay, I'm supposed to take up the slack for your boyfriend? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that didn't fly, right? So Crazy. In fact, it's so funny. I feel like, and I think this is especially true maybe for younger people, newer people in their careers or in their adult lives, that tendency to think in terms of what we are owed and to fall into the trap of a victim narrative, like this happened to me, therefore you need to take care of me. It's one of the most toxic, damaging, depositioning patterns of thought, I think, out there. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, totally. And actually, one of the things that I do in my negotiation programs, you know, I have these private programs that people can invest in if they want. And And I will um, link to those in my show notes, by the way. So anybody listening, I'll have that resource in my show notes. Perfect. Thank you. Is that they have to be willing to go through the exercise of where can I take responsibility for the way my life looks right now? Oh, it's good. Well, you have to do that because otherwise you don't think you have any control. The flip side of that is you have no control. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you're at the mercy of everyone and everything and everybody else's decision. Correct. Which, which I imagine turns you into a whiny, whiny negotiator. <laughs> Well, you know, here's the thing about negotiation, and this is part of the whole, my overall premise about negotiating, and that is that everybody wants value. Mm -hmm. So they want to be, feel like they got value. They want to feel valued. So what you're doing when you're creating all of your arguments about why you should get what you want is showing the other side how you have value Mm -hmm. and how giving you value is going to give them value back. That's exactly right. That's exactly, exactly right. I love it. Okay. So M is my value based on me. A is analysis. Take us to the first T. So the first T is dressed to a T and then use powerful body language and words. So now you're starting to think about the presentation. Now you're starting to think about what is it that you're going to wear? Where are the negotiations going to take place? You know, that's something that you want to think about too. You know, your pad or mine kind of a thing, or maybe it's someplace neutral and there's pros and cons for each, but you know, you have to decide 
where the conversation's going to take place. And then but Rebecca, with- even just to pause there for a second, even when, because I imagine a lot of us are negotiating over the phone. I mean, most of my speaking contract engagements and early conversations, they all happen over the phone. And I think that, you know, if I've got a negotiator, if I got to have an important conversation, I try and dress the part, even if they can't see me, because it changes the way I show up for some reason. A hundred percent. And actually, that's one of the things that I mentioned in my book is the psychology around... There's actually entire books written on the psychology of your clothing and how it impacts you. We all know that if we're wearing something that makes us feel confident or we think we look good in it or we think we look super thin or we think we look whatever, um, that it makes us feel better and we walk a different way and we talk a different way and we stand a different way than we do when we're, you know, for me, when I'm at home with my scrunchie and my hair and no makeup and my yoga pants, you know? Yep, yep. So yeah, totally. And then colors has a huge impact too. Oh, um, interesting. There's, a, there's what, what, a whole psychology around colors. What's the best color for negotiating, Rebecca? Well, there's a few, but blue is definitely a color of trust. It's the most seen color on the planet with water. We are mostly water. So wow. inherently, that's why you see doctors wearing blue in their scrubs. And that's why banks use blue a lot. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Blue is a very popular color followed by green. Again, because it's a natural color and a lot of companies that are eco-friendly. They use Mm -hmm. green. Green is Mm -hmm. the color of money. So green is also a great color. Purple is a great color. Purple is usually spiritual color. Mm -hmm. Auras, you know, you see a lot of men or women of the cloth wearing purple sometimes, you know. That's right. So it's a regal color. You see kings wearing purple. So that's also a great color. White is fine too. Colors to stay away from are usually red. I know a lot of people love red and they think red is super powerful, but red is the color of danger. Mm. Um, You know, fire trucks are red, red cross, blood is red. So, you know, if you want to put the other person at ease and get them to give you what you want, you don't want to wear something that's going to put them off. It's so funny. I had a friend who's like fashionably gifted to come over and do a quick consult because I'm going to be shooting some video in January. And I showed her this gorgeous red blouse I wanted to wear in the video. And she immediately said, do not wear that. It's way too intimidating. You're freaking me out just looking at you. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, for some people, maybe that's what they want to do. And, you know, you see them in their ads wearing these super power suits or whatever. And maybe if you're some kind of a lawyer that wants to have people see you as like the pit bull or whatever, maybe that's the thing. But, yeah, um, that's definitely not the business I'm in, but th- I think yeah. that makes a ton of sense. And for people listening, you know, dressing to a T doesn't necessarily mean expensive and, oh. you know, putting too much on your credit card. It really just means treating, like everything you're teaching is really bringing mindfulness and presence and focus and attention to all aspects, the inner, the outer, and part of how we show up physically is part of this equation. I think too many of us, and I am very guilty of this sometimes. We neglect our bodies. You know, we're so in our heads. We don't think about the impact that the clothing we wear has on our psyche. 
Yeah. So T also is powerful body language. Mm-hmm. When I say stress to a T and use powerful body language and words, because body language makes a huge difference too. And being able to read other people's body language yep. and then the wording that you use. I mean, don't apologize as you're yes. making an ask. Women are terrible with that. Terrible. Absolutely agree with you. What have you observed when you, because you've been in gadrillions of negotiations with the part of your business that's focused on helping couples through divorce, but what are some of the train wreck or stories that you've seen of women apologizing when they shouldn't? You know, I'm sorry to ask for this. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. I'm not trying to be greedy. Um, I'll just take the bare minimum. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. What might it be? What's the opposite of that? What's the powerful to a T kind of verbiage? I've done the research. Here's the data. And based on what I know you want as well, and here's what I know about what will help you, this is a fair offer. Amazing. Based on the data, based on what I know about what you need and want, here is what is fair. Oh, I mean, Jesus, if you remember nothing else, that's like a really (laughs) excellent formula to remember in a pinch. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. What's the next T? So the next T has all to do with rapport. And now you're like entering into the room and you're starting to have the conversation. So the next T is tackle heart issues second. And it really is, you know, start with the issues and where you might agree and then work toward the more contested issues, work toward the more difficult stuff. And it's all about building rapport. I mean, using Mm -hmm. the other person's name, shaking their hand, looking at them while you speak, not looking at your phone. And I tell people to do this, even if the other side is a narcissist, even if you hate their guts, even if you think that they are a disgusting piece of filth, if you want something from <laughs> them, piece of which is people do, oh, I'm if sure. you didn't want anything out of from that person, you wouldn't be having the conversation. Yeah. So if you want something from them, they are going to want to feel like they're getting something out of the conversation. So you better figure out ahead of time what that's going to be. And how do you coach people to drop into that place of warmth, connection, or at least openness to have that smooth experience at the very top of the conversation? What are some tricks you've seen work for people that like hate the guts of the person across the table or really feel strong negative emotions towards them? How do you nudge them out of that long enough to have a good negotiation? So we're actually kind of getting into the E of the Mm -hmm, matter, mm -hmm. which is keep your emotions in check. And it's harder for women than men, but not that men are perfect at it either. Men have trouble controlling anger more so than anything else. But with women, it can be all over the place sometimes. You know, I'm talking about my own gender. So I say this with all love and... (laughs) Yeah, and, yeah, and, and respect, yep. empathy, and compassion. Yeah, um, because we are hardwired to have everything be emotionally connected. Yeah, so it's really hard for us to not take things personally sometimes, and so the way that you combat that is being prepared. Exactly. So by having your data ready to go, you know, and this is one thing that I tell women a lot 
is that especially if you're negotiating with a man, and I've done a lot of divorce work, as you know, although I'm expanding out to just negotiating in general, but is that men are much better about being able to box things away in their brain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whatever the emotion piece of it is, they can deal with that later or put it away completely. And when they're negotiating with you, this is a business deal. Yeah, That's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about what value am I getting out of this? How much is this going to cost me? And that's it. You know, the woman tends to want the man to see other things like that you appreciate me, that Mm -hmm. you recognize all of the other things that I've done for you or the emotional investment that I might have made or whatever. Those are the things that men just don't necessarily see. And so if they do, they sure as hell aren't going to bring it up during an environment of negotiation. No. And so if you want to be on an equal footing, you better be ready to put all that stuff away too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also I do this a lot with my clients as well, just as a communication coach. I think a lot of us react emotionally because we're surprised in the moment by what comes at us. And what I've observed with every kind of possible permutation of conversation, 90% of what quote unquote surprises us, we could have predicted before the meeting even happened. You know? Right. Totally. And actually, one of the things that I tell people to do back in the A of matter Mm -hmm. is do all of the research as if you're taking the other person's side. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because you want to be ready for whatever they're going to argue and then be ready to refute it. Well, I thought that you might say that. And here's my response to that. Yep. And you might even want to bring it up before they do. I mean, that would even be more disarming. I I call that the Eminem style of communicating because in that movie, what was it, Eight Mile? Oh, yeah. When he's in that rap battle, he basically takes every single diss the other rapper can hurl at him and he does it to himself. And so when it's the other rapper's turn to go, he's got nothing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I tell my, my clients that stuff all the time. You know, anything that you think may end up being a weakness for you, say it. Say, you know, I'm anticipating that you're going to say blah, blah, blah. And here's my response to that. Yep. So now you don't even get to bring it up. And for some people, they're like, oh, damn it, she stole my ammo. But for a lot of people across the table, they're relieved that you're the one with the self-awareness to say, I'm anticipating these three counter arguments. Sometimes people are just relieved that they don't have to be the one to tell you. You know, if you can own it, get out in front of it and have a plan around it, it just helps everybody. Plus, you come across so much more confident that way. Incredible. And so much more valuable. I mean, what I tell people all the time is no one wants the stuff on the clearance rack because they just assume (laughs) like that that's the crap, right? Yeah. And so, you know... You don't want to come across as the clearance sale rack item. So don't undercut yourself. Don't, you have to come across as, you know, you're going to be lucky to get me. Exactly. Exactly. God, I love that. I feel like I want to write on my bulletin board, nobody wants a clearance rack item. There's just so (laughs) many, there's so many different aspects of my life that that phrase will help remind me to stand in my power and my truth and my value. I love it. I love it. So take us to R. 
So R is, you know, you've done the whole thing now, but maybe you're not even at a full resolution. It doesn't matter. But after you've had any kind of interaction with another person, whether it's on the phone or in person or whatever, you want to memorialize that in some kind of writing. So R is record any agreements in writing. And I just need to make sure people understand that doesn't mean you need a full-on contract with witnesses and notary and everything else. It's any kind of interaction because the more that you can make sure that there's no misunderstandings, the better your life will be down the road. You know, we discuss this and here's what I understand is where we are at this point. Even if where you are is you still have to discuss some things or you still have issues that are outstanding. Mm -hmm. You know, we agreed to meet again next week and discuss X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And that way nobody is running off with parallel narratives that aren't actually even intersecting. It's like two people can sit down, have a conversation and two people walk away with two different versions of reality. So when you say record, you're meaning not just, you know, get it in writing for all the good reasons of that, but just to make sure everybody's operating from the same basis of reality. Yeah. I mean, you just want everything to be in integrity, you know, Yeah. because if you have a foundation of integrity with the entire process, everything will go more smoothly. And that, in fact, I love that part of your book because I think the the whole underpinning of integrity is so huge. But for a lot of people, it's you know, they know the word integrity, they get it, but the concept is kind of new, <laughs> which means that if you're negotiating from a place of strength, if you figured out what your intrinsic value is separate from the external value, if you're on this path, you can't let yourself off the hook for shenanigans anymore, right? <laughs> like we have to take responsibility for our part and all that comes with that. Talk a little bit about how integrity works in this whole dynamic. Well, there's so many aspects. I mean, it's kind of like woven throughout the whole thing. But, you know, even when you look at your own reasons for entering into a relationship or entering into a conversation with the other person, is it that you're assuming that they're going to do something for you? You know, that if you do X, Y, and Z, that they're going to reciprocate. Mm -hmm or that they understand that the reason why you're doing it is for some other reason, don't make those assumptions. Mm. Because if you have this thought process and the other side has no idea that that's what you're thinking, or maybe they do, but you never actually expressed it or whatever. And they think, well, you know, I know that that's what she thinks or he thinks, but I'm going to go ahead and do what I want. I'm not going to give back or I'm not going to do my portion of the agreement. Then it's all going to blow up. So if you're not in integrity in the process, the outcome will never work out. You've got to have a strong foundation. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And just because we're kind of coming to the end of our time here together, if you could characterize what you've seen work, because we could listen to train wreck stories all day. They're so much fun to listen to. But the negotiations that you have seen work beautifully, where both parties are getting what they want out of it, how would you characterize what the promised land looks like? Like, what is life like when you learn to negotiate like you matter? 
Oh, well, what life is like is that you're negotiating your best life, which is the name of my new podcast, Negotiate Your Best Life, because now that means that you can actually be assertive without being characterized as aggressive. Now you can actually be a badass without being an ass. <laughs> you oh know, my God, I-, I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, you, you can win every time and there are no losers. Yes. Yes. You know, you could inherit the wind. That is amazing. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. And I will be subscribing to it because every day is a kind of negotiation, right? In fact, part of me, like I was on a walk with my dog this morning, Rebecca, and I have, you know, like we all do, we all have that negative mental chatter. And one of my rituals for sort of calming that voice or just getting clear is to walk my dog in silence. And I was thinking about how much of my walk with my dog in silence is spent negotiating with that irrational, crazy person that lives inside of my head. Oh, that is exactly (laughs) what I say. I mean, we're negotiating all day long, but especially with our own selves. Anytime you are shooting with yourself, Mm -hmm. my, my, my girlfriend says you should all over yourself. That's right. I should be working out. I should be eating better. I should be, you know, whatever. And that's a negotiation. Yeah. Absolutely. And knowing what your value is when you negotiate with that voice is massive because that voice knows exactly where to hit us and it knows how to inflict maximum psychological damage. I mean, that's what the ego does, right? So I think these steps are critical for negotiating salary, negotiating, you know, whatever, even a divorce, of course a divorce, but even just negotiating our own mental health and sense of peace and groundedness inside of our own bodies and minds and spirits. So Rebecca, I just want to say thank you for this book. I completely got what you're trying to do and I hope everybody else does too, because I think it could be a game changer for people. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 